Well, hello there, and welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com. This is episode 16, and you can find all our previous episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on podcast.com, and of course on animationforadults.com. I'm Chris, and I am joined by my podcast co-pilots, and here is Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Chris. How's it going? I'm I'm good, How are you? I'm very well. And by Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hey. How's it going? Everything's going good. Awesome. And Yvonne's not with us this week, but Jill's here. Hey, Jill. Hi. Hey. Hello. Long time no speak. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't been able to join us since, was it How to Train Your Dragon episode? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Interesting fact that this is actually the first episode Jill and Rachel have been in together. So yes, <laughs> at we... long last, yes, it has finally happened. And we still haven't quite managed to get everyone in one episode at the same time because uh, <laughs> they're super busy today. Um, but we we do have a special guest today, and we are joined by Jason Lee Waite from Sam Sweetmilk the animated series on YouTube. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Um, oh, very welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, if I guess this would be the point where for our current, you know, our, our listeners who might not be familiar with you, uh, you could give just a little introduction. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so we've been making this uh, YouTube cartoon for the last uh, maybe two years, three years. Um, so it's a, a sci-fi comedy in the same vein as um, like Hitchhiker's Guide and Venture Brothers in terms of content. It's about a guy who deletes all of his own memories and his first memory is of finding himself alone in deep space on a ship with no idea how he got there and the series begins one year later and it's about who he's become and what he's going through and largely who he's become and what he's going through is him being a complete arsehole and the effect of that uh and he 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 gradually uh becomes less of an arsehole as the series goes on Um, and we've made two episodes so far that primarily deal with a story arc relating to his first mate who's a robot called ghostworth who's played by kevin r mcnally who plays mr gibbs in the pirates of the caribbean films um, nice. And uh, we, yeah, the one the first episode's twenty five minutes long. Second one's twenty one, and we uh, we've had a few Kickstarter campaigns um, which failed, but we have some <laughs> Indiegogo campaigns which have done all right. So uh, that's that's what we're on at the moment. Awesome. Yes, and you're currently running one for the third episode. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we released episode two in September and we're raising money in Indiegogo right now for episode three, which is technically more like episode zero with a splash of three. It kind of cuts back and forth temporally. But we've raised 24, no, 21,470 last time I checked, I think, uh, on Indiegogo for it so far. Nice. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, we will talk more about Sam Sweet Milk and your experiences and everything later for our main topic but before that we are going to have our usual discussion of a few news stories that have been happening in the world of animation and we're going to talk about some animation that we've been watching uh, but before that I just just a little bit of um, admin 
uh, I've added a new section to the site. Uh, I've put together a page uh, which shows you all the ways you can actually help out the site uh, if you appreciate what we do and would like to help us to do more of it. Um, and that includes a bunch of free trials that you can do, such as getting free audiobooks from Audible or um, being able to access all regions of Netflix with Unblock Us. Um, or you can just shop on Amazon as you normally do, but just go through our links. Or if you are feeling super generous, uh, you could always give us a little donation. Or even, if you're really, really super generous, a recurring subscription. Um, but mm. obviously, uh, we know not everyone could do that, and we appreciate you all anyway. Um, but you will find the links to that in the show notes. Um, but now we are going to talk some news. Um, there's actually a bit of news that has just broken uh, just before we, uh, I guess say came on air, but <laughs> we're not on air. It, it's just old-fashioned, outdated jargon, but you know what we mean. Before we started recording, that'll do. <laughs> um, and that is that a, some of the cast of Disney's upcoming Zootopia have been announced. Uh, we already knew that Jennifer Goodwin's playing Judy Hopps and Jason Bateman is Nick Wilde the fox and Shakira is a gazelle called Gazelle but we've got some more people uh, Idris Elba is playing a character called Bogo Octavia Spencer Mrs. Otterson who appears to be an otter uh, really? <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm, I'm looking for all the name puns the animal name puns not. Bonnie Hunt is Bonnie Hops. I don't know who Bonnie Hunt is. Sorry uh, if you're listening. <laughs> you're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know who she is. Uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I know him. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the Mayor Lionheart, who is a lion, who is the mayor, I guess. <laughs> that um, makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nate Torrance. Again, not sure who that is, but he's playing Clawhauser, who looks like a fat-faced le- leopard. Uh who is a cop by the looks of it. He's got a uniform on. Uh, Jenny Slate uh, as Assistant Mayor Bellwether, who is a sheep. <laughs> Alan Tudick as Duke Weaselton, who I'm just going to put it out there. Probably a weasel of some description. Um, it, it is a weasel. Mm-hmm. And I think the funny thing about this, too, is that the name almost seems like a Frozen reference, because if you remember, his character was the Duke of Wesselton, which they kept calling Weaseltown. Aha. In the movie, yeah. Ah, yes. So, <laughs> I want the name. Yeah, so I, I almost wonder if they did that on purpose or if that's just coincidence, but throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. Tommy Chong as Yaks, who is a yak. I'm, <laughs> I'm just guessing here. And Don Lake, Don Lake as Stu Hops. Again, don't know who that is. But he's a rabbit. Uh, so, <laughs> anyone got any, got any strong opinions on that interesting list there? I hope that the official announcement was that clueless. Like, <laughs> it was just a guy in the PR department. Just like, yeah, so there's a character called uh, Mr. Hops. Guess he's a rabbit or something. Uh, <laughs> or kangaroo, probably. No needs lot. I've just got some images um, to go on. It's quite small. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I don't know. Like, it sounds like a busy old film. I just Elba. Uh, That's good. 
I'm really excited yeah. for Alan, if Alan Tudyk's in it because he's really good with he's them. He's in every Disney movie now since Wreck It Ralph. I'm yeah, because he he played uh he played King Candy, didn't he? Yeah, he was, and and it seems like since then. He's, he's in Big Hero 6 as well, yeah. Yeah, he is, because he's... quite versatile. I had no idea that he had, like, that kind of range. Really. He's really he's making... An amazing a, yeah, he's really making a name for himself in the voice acting industry. Yeah, I had no think. idea the first time I watched Wreck-It Ralph that that was... That was I know, him. right? Right? I know. Oh, man. Yeah. So impressive. Mm, completely blew my mind. I remember just kind of sitting there stunned when the credits rolled, and it was like, that was Alan Tudyk? <laughs> that was Wash from Firefly? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so good on him. <laughs> I'm glad he's so versatile. It kind of reminds me of Mark Hamill and his transition into yeah, voice acting. Dis- Disney's giving him mm. work, consistent work. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so you get to continue to hear him and his talented voice. Yes. Yay. And J.K. Simmons <laughs> right. as well. He's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's very versatile too. Mm. He's fantastic. Especially with Tenzin and Cora and then um, those Stanford Pines right now oh, in Gravity yeah. Falls. Mm. He's doing great with that. Oh, is he in Gravity Falls? He is. Yes, he is. Uh, I did not know that. Yes. Yes. He, am... play, he plays Stanford Pines. Aha. Uh-huh. I won't say anything more <laughs> in case uh, viewers have, or listeners haven't fully caught up on the show because yeah, that's actually season it. one. All right, well, and I'm not spoilers. saying yeah, major spoilers. So not saying anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the BAFTA Children's Awards have been named. Uh, BAFTA is the British Film and TV Academy, uh, like the. Uh, equivalent of the Oscars but in Britain and they do all sorts of ceremonies they do the main film and TV awards and they also do video games now and they also have a special uh, ceremony just for children's entertainment and animation is represented in there um, and there's a few categories that will be of interest to our listeners and there's children's animation uh, and the, the amazing world of Gumball Mr. Bean, the animated series. Sean the Sheep, the TV series, uh, which you know we're a fan of. And Strange, <laughs> Hill, Strange Hill High, um, which I've actually I've seen like one episode of it. Uh, it, is, it is very much a kid's show, uh, so I didn't keep re-watching. Uh, but it had quite an interesting animation style, because I believe it's CG, but they've done it in a style to make mm. it look like it's puppets. Like, is that the, is that the one where um oh goodness Richard Iwadi yes he's voice. the main character yeah, yeah. Um, right yeah and they've got um oh speaking of which Richard Iwadi was in Danger Mouse that was great <laughs> <laughs> brilliant I was so happy oh, brilliant. I might he, check that out he's got like one line it's like he just pops up. He's like, oh, Richard Iwedi. Oh, it's a shame because he's just, you know, one of these guys who loved Danger Mouse as a kid and then shows up like, I just want to have, you know, I just want to say that I've been in Danger Mouse. I don't want to actually do any work or anything. Yeah, I bet that's probably (laughs) what happened. I I absolutely love Richard Iwedi. He's so funny. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, Also, other categories, there's one that kids can vote for, uh, which is the film category, and they can choose between... These aren't all animated, but most of them are. Um, Big Hero 6, The Box Trolls, Cinderella, 
Home, Inside Out, Minions, Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, Paddington, Shaun the Sheep the Movie, and SpongeBob Movie, Sponge Out of Water. So pretty much all the kids' films of the last year or so. Uh, oh God, Lego Movie's mm. been snubbed again. That, that, <laughs> that would have been last year, surely. Yeah, that was last year. Oh, really? Because I yeah. thought that was rubbing shoulders with box trolls and uh, etc. No, because Lego Movie came out in the beginning of 2014. Yeah. Actually, why is Box Trolls on this list? I may have been thinking... Because I interned at at Cartoon Saloon. I had an eye on Song of the Sea. And I think that that rubbed shoulders with Box Trolls in the nomination. Mm -hmm. So that I may be getting my wires crossed. Yeah, Box Trolls probably just made the cut to be considered in the 2015 year because it came out in October Ah, of last year. And that's kind of around the cutoff, I think, of what they consider for nominations for the year. Aha, uh-huh, because Big Hero yeah. Six only came out in January. I know in, in the UK. oh in January in the UK. Okay. Yeah, so it, that's why. Yeah, that it was counts. November here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we had to wait for that one. Um, so that's why that's included. But yeah, don't know what Should they're going to choose. Um, okay, and there are some other categories that are of interest. There's the Children's International. Um, so that includes Adventure Time, Clarence, Gravity Falls. And the non-animated Nowhere Boys. Uh, so let's go to Gravity Falls and Adventure Time. And I haven't seen Clarence. Uh. Oh, you're, I mean, it, it, there's some shining moments in the series itself. But do yourself mm-hmm. a favour and watch the pilot. It's so good. Oh, it's the so pilot's good. The, really good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very, very good. I mean, I, with all that, like, um, I think it may have been hamstrung in part by the whole Skylar Page fiasco, but I, th- I think that the pilot just really stands out as like a really great example of kids' writing. Very, very, uh-huh. cool. very cool. I've right. not seen the pilot, but I've seen some of the series, and I, I quite like the series. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's yes. pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not like, I, you know, I'm not turning things down to sit down and watch the series. I'm not like, you know putting off dinner or anything but like i've got a lot of time for that pilot i must i must have watched it 10 times or so by now actually it's wow yeah it's very very it's it's i mean like just just because i mean all the the good writing in cartoons is is just a series of very short moments that just really stand out and it and it's got some really great great ones so yeah it's very very good nice i'll have to look into that one yeah and there's also just the general fil- feature film category which isn't voted for by the actual kids watching and in that case it's just Big Hero 6 Inside Out Paddington and Sean and Sheep the movie ah uh, oh, don't make me cheer oh, having <laughs> can't choose between them <laughs> especially not Inside Out and Big Hero 6 man that's 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 tough that's easy that is easy it's Inside Out <laughs> sorry yeah my um my producer dragged me to go and see Shaun the Sheep, and it's not, I don't usually watch kids movies um except for like the the big ones, so I'm kind of you know the part of the problem. But she um uh, there was there's this one that one bit where he's paying off the the, the duck. Oh, that's uh, my favorite red. joke. <laughs> oh, it's so good! It's so good. <laughs> so like, yeah, so uh, in case anybody who's listening hasn't seen that bit, there's a bit where where Shaun is uh, bribing uh, this duck. And he meets him, and they're both looking shifty, sort of between these two caravans. And he hands him some like, like four slices of bread behind his back, and the duck takes it without looking. And it flips through it like it's cash. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just a really nice bit of like um, physical comedy. Really, really good. That's my favourite joke in the whole movie, and it's always what I think of when I think about that movie. I love the fact that someone else 
brings that up. Oh, so. it's very, very good. I mean, yeah. you know, like I'm, um, yeah, yeah. In terms of like, you know, good moments for adults in kids' films, you know, because mm-hmm. like, because I've always found that Ardman don't do that well, really. Like, you know, keeping it for adults at the same time, um, just or as well as like Pixar and and, um, and DreamWorks. But uh, but in that moment, definitely, they they really nailed it. Yes, and also Paddington's not obviously completely animated, but the bear is, and that film is also charming as all hell. Uh, so I wouldn't even mind if that wins. Um, and other than that, there is a short category and a film that was made last year to um, for the hundredth anniversary of uh, the start of the First World War called Poppies. It's been nominated. Mm. Um, oh, it, brilliant! That's that was a great really, film. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was made to show on Children's BBC and CBBS, which is the channel that's aimed at um, aimed at younger children. And it actually went out at the um, like the, the armistice time, which is um, eleven o'clock on the eleventh hour of the eleventh of, of um, uh, November um, every year. And it was the um, it's the point where there's like the two minute silence and so it runs for the length of the two minute silence mm. so that children have got something to watch and you know it's sort of supposed to be evocative of the war but it's obviously not really traumatic for children because mm. <laughs> it's got I'd be interested to see how they treated that uh, yeah and it Simon Partington and Jackie Edwards directed that um, so if you get a chance to watch that, I'd recommend that. Um, and yeah, BAFTAs wise, I think that about covers it. Okay, uh, another bit of news is that an interesting book is coming out from Stonebridge Press, who are sort of Japanese specialist publisher, uh, who done like the anime encyclopedia and everything. Uh, they are doing a, a translation of a Japanese biography of Osamu Tezuka the creator of Astro Boy and about a million other anime and manga. The god of manga, the godfather of anime, whatever you want to call him, big do- big deal. Uh, and it is a like a manga-style biography of his life and work, which is quite interesting. Um, that's, right. that's really fitting, I think, at least mm-hmm. as, you know, in regards to the amount of work that he's done, you know. He worked with with manga and, and transitioning into anim, animation. That's really really fitting. Yep, I think that's interesting. And everyone will like that apart from Miyazaki, who says that um, that Tezuka <laughs> was just a comic artist who shouldn't have been in animation. Is that right, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan really hates how he um, how he made like animation that's really cheap, very popular. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, it's quite funny to hear about there being a book based on Tusker's life because the only thing I've seen like about his life is there's a documentary where it's meant to be like following him around, like a, a documentary. But mm-hmm. he works so hard; it's just him in his office, like <laughs> watching telly and smoking and drawing. And yeah, he he works bloody hard. Hmm. It's funny to hear Miyazaki say that because the Lupin the Third TV series was really, really cheap. <laughs> you know, on par. 
yeah, but then yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I think um, that's why that's what he tried to do with what's that? Cagliostro cast the Cagliostro. Oh, that was, was yeah, that's so so good. You know, Spielberg mm-hmm. lists Cagliostro as is it? I think it's his favorite action film. I think that's that's how he ranks it. I think it's his, it's got his favorite action sequence in it. Suppose the uh, oh, car, I see. the car chase. Which one? Which one? Because oh, I've never seen that film. Which what? Which action sequence was it? The car chase. On about two minutes. Ah, uh, the car chase. Mm-hmm. And I, it's so good that sometimes I honestly stop watching the film there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. It seriously, it seriously is like, yeah, be imaginative and um. Well, just yeah, those cartoon obviously. physics, and it, it somehow manages to keep it all. When it drives up the wall, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really pretty action. And yeah. watched in the context, like if you, you know, if you see some of the um, the jeep chases in Indiana Jones, you, you can see how evocative it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, driving up over uh, over sort of uh, what would you call it? Like you know, ascending over a, 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 over a side road and then plunging back into the road ahead when you just think you've lost them or something. You know, mm-hmm. really clever. Yeah. But, funnily enough, I rewatched um, Big Hero Six, and that's got like the only other car- animated car chase I can really think of <laughs> in a mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, this is the best car chase since Castle of Cagliostro. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only well, one as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also thought, I can't think of any other animated car chases since Castle of Cagliostro. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the stuff from Big well, is great. If you think about it, though, maybe potentially Tintin. Yeah, that, Tintin yeah. was the only one that was coming to mind. Oh, yeah. yeah that, and that is really a lot like the Cagliostro Oh, it all ties together. Steven Spielberg. Kevin Bacon's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Tying it all together. I don't know how, but somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah, the bacon, the bacon rule. Oh, yeah, because you have a bacon number, right? Yeah. Kevin... I was told I have a I have a bacon number of two <laughs> the other day. Apparently somebody told me that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because of you being with Kevin, whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, the guy from Poets of the Caribbean is in our cartoon. Um, and he's been in something with Kevin Bacon. Apparently. Well, most people have, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hence, hence the number, yeah, hence the number. Yeah. Um, has Kevin Bacon ever done any animation? I don't know. Uh, he was. He, he played yeah, he lead in uh, Balto. I remember, uh, I don't know if anyone ever saw that. It was like, um, what, what studio made that? That uh, was Amblimation. I think so. No, I think I need to double check. Actually, maybe London. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and everything was because uh, I don't know was was it Paramount? No, it was, oh, no, it was um, Universal. Am- Universal film. Yeah. But yeah, that, he he played the the lead character in that. So he okay. has technically done uh, voice work before. Hmm. Ah, so yeah, there's another way that people can connect him. <laughs> 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 And by a Jason. Uh, <laughs> yes, you may know me from my work with Kevin Bacon in a roundabout sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> so, that Tesco book sounds good. Yes. <laughs> Nicely pulled out there. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, that was a nice segue. Yeah. Um, Put the segue sound effect in there. Which we don't have yet, but Damn it. it's going to happen. <laughs> Someone make us one. Go on. Um, right. Uh, and sort of a 
it's kind of a new story, but it's more of a follow-up to a previous episode when I was talking about uh, Garth Jennings, the director of the um, the Hollywood adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. And I said that I thought I'd heard that he was working on an animated film. Well, I've basically discovered that he is uh, via his appearance on another podcast, um, on the Adam Buxton podcast, which is a very funny podcast with... Um, Dr. Buckley's. Dr. Buckley's, who was originally half of Adam and Joe, uh, who used to mm. have an awesome podcast, and and then Joe's gone off to be a big film director, and he made Attack the Block. Uh, so yeah, he's connected to John Boyega, who is connected to yeah, and he's probably connected to Jason. But <laughs> yeah, Kevin Bacon somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, yeah, it's, he was talking about the animation that he's working on, and he's apparently working with Illumination Entertainment, of all people. Um, and he is currently residing in Paris, and has been working on that for the last couple of years. And it is currently known as um, Untitled Illumination Project. <laughs> wow, evocative. Good. Yeah, very... Um, there are some like there are some cool people attached to that. Like John C. Riley's one of those. Yeah, main, good cast. Yeah, main, main leads. Matthew McConaughey. So it's part of the McConaughey Whatever you say. The McConaughey. The McConaughey. <laughs> yeah. The McConaughey. <laughs> what? Yeah, that thing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, and its synopsis, according to IMDb, is a koala named Buster recruits his best friend to help him drum up business for his theatre by hosting a singing competition. Which, yeah, sounds like a kid's movie. But Garth Jennings is awesome. <laughs> He's great. Um, He's great if it was like a, like a gritty noir thriller about this koala. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, because it's left open to interpretation. You never, you never know. Well, he suppo- you know, he supposedly came out of a pitch, basically, that made Illumination say, hey, do you want to come and live in Paris? And he was like, okay. <laughs> do I have to? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was quite interesting as well that he was talking about Illumination and how they went um, from, like, 90 people to then they've got, like, 900 or something just, you know, just in their studio because of... Um, because of the success of Despicable Me, basically. Because of those little yellow things. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> yes. But, yeah, not really a new story that a film that's probably been on IMDb for ages is happening. But it was the first that we'd really heard about it. Uh, so I thought I'd mention it. And I think it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that one. Uh, it's coming out next year sometime. Uh, so... Hopefully we'll see some pictures and trailers and stuff before too long. Um, and I guess they've already got Secret Life of Pets coming out next year, so yeah. big year for them. They're really <laughs> doing well. Seeing as they've got, is it is it number two now, Minions, or is it no, isn't number one yet? Uh, biggest animated film ever at the moment. Which it's most which, one of the most popular, I think. Yeah, that's definitely. What I mean. The money, the money yeah. terms, and that does mean that everyone should go and watch Inside Out about four more times just to um, balance it <laughs> out. But um, we can't, we don't have the power, unfortunately. Um, 
All you can all you can do now is just jump on it as soon as it comes out on DVD. Just just get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> take our take our word for it. Just get it. <laughs> yeah, such a good film. Uh, and that about sums up the news for today. Um, so it's time to talk about some stuff we've been watching. Um, and I know Dan got to see something very exciting the other week. Um, <clears throat> as a f- nice follow-up to our Mamoru Hosoda podcast, I know you got to see his new film at the London Film Festival. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Um, actually, um, so like Yvonne, who's not with us, she was going to be talking about Anomalisa. And I found out that Anomalisa was the secret film at the London Film Festival, which was playing like the day after The Boy and the Beast. Oh, I'm wow. super gutted. I'm super mm. gutted I didn't get to see it because the surprise film is like. I went to the surprise film a couple of years ago, like hoping really good. I came out and he told us, like, you're, you're gonna like this movie, it's gonna be great. And it was like his cut of the um, the Grandmaster, the Wong Kar Wai, um, like epic, and it was abysmal. And so I don't trust like the surprise film anymore. But <laughs> now I don't know what to think. Anyway, Boy and the Beast, yeah. Um, so it's Hosoda's, uh, was it his fifth film? Uh, is that right? I think so. I'd have to count. If you include One one Piece, maybe? Anyway, um, (laughs) so I I really loved Wolf Children. Um, It was really special, and um, it was really, like, purposefully paced, and it was quite mature. Boy and the Beast is nothing like that. And as we were sort of saying, like, last time, he makes films which uh, you wouldn't expect, kind of. So, basically, I'm going to try and not give too much away it's really big and loud and fun the opening sequence is just like this um like recapping of a legend and it's it's like it's told like at a kind of campfire and the campfire just like bursts into life and these these shapes of beasts like jump out and they sort of they fight as the legend is is like recounted to you and I realized, oh, wow, this is going to be a really fun movie. And it really was. It was, um, it has a really strong central relationship, which kind of reminded me of The Jungle Book more than anything, actually. Mm. Um, it's, it's sort of, and it's sort of also a little bit like The Karate Kid, which is, I'm sure it's like a lot of other things, but that was the film that reminded me of the most. Um, and it, it really like fun relationship and there are lots of like fantastic fight scenes um lots of like really energetic um martial arts sequences um and it's like so it was it was uh it was also very funny as well but it was Sosoda's first film without his regular um screenwriter and as a result I think it got a little bit messy and it's slightly overlong and slightly baggy because he sort of mm. he sets up lots of plot points which he then has to like run around in the last 20 minutes knocking back over and it gets a little bit um uh yeah just a bit long in the tooth really which is which is a shame because wolf children in comparison and go let through time are really focused um but there are lots of like hasoda uh uh trademarks happening with you know um 
there's a lot of exploration of the real world and the the detail with which it's depicted is breathtaking there are some amazing um sequences in in the city um but more than anything it, it's it's just a bit of fun it's not so much um uh like an emotional epic for me as wolf children was um but it's 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 genuinely really really good fun and there are lots of things happening in it which sort of um if you're a fan of things like folk tales or of like mythology there are lots of things that are traditional about it um like quite buddhist imagery happening in it uh and yeah so it's it's good fun i won't lie i'll say i was slightly disappointed because it was not um quite as elegant or as tight as you know his previous works um but it's still a great great fun film uh yeah that's 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 boy and the beast nice i guess it's probably one of those things where maybe your first watch you'll be like oh because it's different you're a bit disappointed and actually yeah that that's a really interesting point because halfway through the film something happens and it's not like a plot point just the film sort of changes a little bit and up until that point i was really happy with it being the sort of like fun energetic film it was and then about halfway through it turns into something where it's trying to be a little bit more like wolf children or to be a slice of lifey and then it ends up sort of there's there's, there's basically a tension between sort of like really wanting to make something that's fun and energetic and something that is really purposefully paced and sort of touching and yeah it doesn't doesn't quite pay off uh, but yeah you're right I really the first thing I said when I came out of the cinema I said to my friends I need to see that again because it it was quite surprising in how it played out um, so yeah I'll definitely be watching it again and it's uh, it was yeah it was good I enjoyed it cool I'm looking forward uh, to it yeah mm-hmm. going to be a long wait though <laughs> probably before <laughs> we can see it again because <laughs> of that film yeah. festival thing <laughs> anything else you've been watching that you want to mention at all was that it? Me? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Apart from the regular stuff like South Park this week, uh, which was, which is pretty funny. I thought, I think, uh, this season's like the most successful, more successful than last season in that they're trying to tie everything together in a way that's not too labored or, uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of working for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit behind. I haven't seen the last. How many? How many is it in now? <laughs> I can't. I, five, maybe. Oh, this, I this, this this week's episode was called Safe Space, oh, and right. the gist of it is: what if someone, what if, what if someone filtered your Twitter feed so that you, all you got were your nice comments, <laughs> and mm. your view of the world became a bit skewed as a result. And you thought everyone was being very kind to you, when in fact they were not. <laughs> and it probably won't surprise you to know that that Cartman is is the person to whom that happens. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. Nothing can surprise me about Cartman. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, done it all. 
Well, I finished up watching season two of Rick and Morty, so I'm a bit <laughs> bereft. I'm, there's no more. <laughs> I, I went through it all very quickly because I needed to catch up before I lost the opportunity to watch it. Uh, <laughs> um, so I went oh, through like, the first two seasons. Well, you know, all of it, as it's also known. Um, but I enjoyed doing it that way. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for pacing yourself and everything. But then also, it's also quite fun just to hammer through something sometimes when it's that good. Um, yeah, and it was a really awesome ending. Uh, I won't say any more. <laughs> um, quite unexpected. I would say, um, and I also like I then because there's no more. I then like gone through and watched like loads of like I watched like the last two years panels from <laughs> San Diego Comic Con and stuff just to find out more about it. Oh, they're and, great! Like, Dan Harmon yeah. does a great Justin Roiland impression. <laughs> Justin yeah. Roiland does a really great racist Justin Roiland impression. Like <laughs> 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 some of the slips he does, like oh, and what was one of them? Oh, what, oh it was just like. Like made of AIDS references as well, and it just like the whole panel is everyone just going like, "Oh, for God's sake, Justin!" It's like, "What? What? It's fine. It's fine." I was in character. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love those guys so much. I, I I recently got given the um the the Blu-ray of the Rick and Morty season one. Yeah. Um, and the commentaries on that, like, a so informative. Like, you get to learn a lot about their writers' room and how the kind of the, how the hierarchy works in terms of all the writers and how the jokes are passed up through them. Um, but really, what it really teaches you about is how great the cast are at beatboxing and freestyle rapping. <laughs> absolute joy. If, if you can watch the the lawnmower dog commentary, it's just just uh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's got some and, guests guest people on it as well isn't it the commentary has got like um they they heavily implied in the in the, one of the panels that they had matt groening and mm. some other people doing commentaries on is that right yeah yeah i listened to we listened to it was more than matt groening it was uh, a lot of the guys from from the simpsons and futurama who had their own commentary track for i think the one where they cronenberg the world up and then flee reality Oh well, mm. <laughs> that, that's quite—it's quite a pivotal episode. That, yeah. Well, no doubt. I mean, that's probably the reason that they had them comment on that one. It's—I mean—they're full of nothing but co- uh, praises for the show for good reason. Um, and that there's a there's a Penn Ward commentary as well, but I didn't get around to watching that. We, we put it to a vote. There, we were recording our DVD commentary last uh, Sunday or the Sunday before, <laughs> and there was like a bunch of us, and we ended up voting for the for the graining one. Hmm. That's quite. Um quite a stamp of approval I'd say because I'm just going to go out on the limb that I don't think they do that for Family Guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah no plagiarismo yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. is, is, uh, is the Blu-ray a, a British Blu-ray? yeah yeah it's it's well I mean it's it's region 2 which is also like Australia it's, and... it's the Australian one is it? Cause yeah I, was I gonna, think so yeah. I was going to say I don't because right. it's only just shown on TV over here so well, they, they showed season one and then season two straight through. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blu-ray doesn't come out here because we keep getting shafted <laughs> with stuff. But mm. you can get the Australian one and it still works um, in the UK. Mm. And you can get it through Amazon. But it's quite it's quite expensive. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. yeah, I had a look. It's like 20, 21 pounds or something. Yeah, it keeps... 
Well, it keeps going up and down. I was, oh, I was 21, and oh, no, I was 23. Oh, I was 21. <laughs> I should order it. <laughs> yes. Um, I also watched the uh, the original short, uh, which I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend you do. you got to lick my balls, Marty. you got to get a cup of shaft. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, tremendous. I love that. Can you imagine being in the pitching? Okay, so Fox rejected it out of hand. They were like, oh... So you want to what you want to make Futurama, which is obviously just in you know obviously somebody in Fox got fired for for that decision somewhere, but um, but you know it's like okay, so so what kind of materials do you have to show us as part of this pitching meeting? It's just like oh, we're just going to stick to the elevator pitch. I think we'll just we'll just keep it short. We have got some pictures. Like no 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 no, break out some video. I'm sure. I mean you guys, you know, you seem pretty together. It's like no no no, please please, let's uh, let's not go there. <laughs> And then they show that. And they are quickly escorted from the premises. <laughs> well, they had like a slow 80s clap. <laughs> they all stand up. <laughs> I really love the part where he sucked his grandfather's penis. It was... It was you know? It's quite amazing that such a, um, shall we say, sophisticated, nuanced series came out of that. <laughs> I, don't know it, I don't know if it is because there are many points at which the, in which the series just sort of just devolves into juvenile similar sort of humor I think really yeah there's a couple of because like in, at the end of episode one you get that you know with obviously with the hundred years Rick and Morty dot com but also like when he, says, when he just says you're gonna put this way up inside your butthole like, <laughs> yeah the, uh, the scene. Yeah, I'll admit, I was actually, I, I watched the very, for that uh, very episode today, because I know I've been hearing you guys talking about this show, I was like, well, I might as well, you know, start at episode <laughs> one, and I'll admit, I haven't, I, I, there was, there were quite a few bits where I, I definitely laughed, you know, it was, it's, it's definitely funny, but at the same time, it's like, I know, from, I, I hear everything you guys are talking about, it, and after, at least, as far as episode one goes, I don't see it, I know it'll get there, I'll just have to <laughs> try and stick with it. I mean, I fell in love with the with the pilot because um, they what they did, and this is quite clever, I think, is that they put like a composite version of the pilot that was like gave you the full plot kind of, or at least two thirds of it, but in a really condensed way. Um, and the highlight of that is, of course, the the moment where Rick throws Morty a, a rifle. And he's like, cover me. And he's like, oh, I don't want to shoot nobody. It's like, they're robots, Rick. You, you, you can't hurt them. They're robots. And he fires off and <laughs> blows one of their legs off. And there's blood everywhere. And this guy's yeah. like, oh, my God. He's bleeding to death. And he's like, oh, I don't think they're robots, Rick. He's like, oh, it's a figure of speech, Morty. They're bureaucrats. I don't respect them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, like. That uh. was funny. That was very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. Very, very good. Um, and, you know, speaking of those moments where it just devolves into, like, repetition and insanity, there's a, there's a cut mm. scene from the first season where there's this device that's getting, like, it's beeping and the beeping is getting more and more high-pitched. It's like, Moy, it's going to turn our dimension inside out. you gotta, you, you got to help me. Yeah, you gotta, you got to uh, hand, me, hand me that wrench. And he points to this hammer. And he's just like, and Morty's just like pauses, like the, the wrench, Morty, the wrench, it's right there. I'm, I'm pointing at it. It's, 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 it's centimeters away from my, from my finger. It's like I, yeah, I think, I think that's a hammer, Rick. It's like Morty, just pass, just pass me. The, the, the dimension's gonna turn inside out, Morty, and it kind of like <laughs> rolls on for a while. You can see kind of why they cut it, but um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, I've, I've talked myself into a cul-de-sac here. You can see the scene. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, one, as I said, I watched like, some of the panels and stuff, and interesting thing I learned out of that is the fact that they said that the, um, the um, parallel universe TV thing is going to be their Treehouse of Horror, and they're going to do one every season. Mm. And it's like, oh, my. Mm. Although... Not that I would ever say anything negative about Rick and Morty, because they, as far as I'm concerned, they're the best thing that's ever happened to television uh, since, <laughs> since, since The Simpsons. Um, uh, mainly because of like subversion. Like if you look at like Alan Moore in comics, you know, kind of like taking the Silver Age and turning it inside out and being like, oh my god, but what if they weren't just people? They were like horrible people. But like <laughs> how Rick and Morty subverts the sitcom genre in cartoons. It's just like, oh, everything ends up okay at the end, but you won't like how it happens. <laughs> you know it's like it's fine everything went back to normal it's just like but what but but <laughs> um but that episode in season two where they did the cable tv thing i think it just i th- I think the spontaneity of the se- of season one was kind of lost on it um they kind of made a few like purposeful like meta jokes towards that but but the the, the, the weird and kind of fun thing about the show is that and Dan Harmon are on Twitter and they tweet quite openly about the show mm. and after after that episode aired they had a right big old public barmy with each other about <laughs> like Dan Harmon was saying oh you you um to Justin Roiland he was saying oh you you know um we tried to make the episode he he, he tweeted just first of all to no one just saying hope you enjoyed the episode yeah you know it was okay um but we did as as well as we could, as well as we were allowed. And then Justin Roiland kind of tweeted back, like implying that there was a bit of tension between them for that episode. Mm. Which, um, yeah, I know that stuff's always like quite entertaining for me. <laughs> as much as <laughs> yeah, the just airing out their dirty, dirty laundry. Yeah, because because yeah, I they, saw they, that, they, that, that that Dan Harmon tweeted him back and was like, "Well, actually, we all worked very hard on that episode," and uh, you know. It, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could see them like keeping it civil, but it was like, ooh, <laughs> handbags at dawn. Not Dan Harmon oversharing, surely not. <laughs> no, mm. oh, he went off at someone the other day. Uh, the other day, just like really, really intensely tweeted at them for hours. Yeah, yeah. but he he is going through like a divorce, so he's the best. Yeah, I mean, I guess they can't see the same therapist anymore, so now Twitter's by default his therapist. I I don't know how that works. Well, he uses his podcast as, like, therapy. He's openly said that. Sure. (laughs) He's taken the the foam bats from The Simpsons to the general public. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. So that's pretty But he still makes good TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, He's he's the um, perfect example of someone who's a genius... But it's a kind of genius you probably wouldn't want to live with. <laughs> yeah, Definitely sure. Well, I mean, no. <laughs> like the less the less filters you have, the better of a the more more real and emotional writer you are. But the less of a good person. I mean, you look at any decent novelist of the last two hundred years, right? <laughs> uh, yes. All right. I think we've covered Rick and Morty. Um, what else have I been watching? I did quickly. Just I did want to give a shout out to something that I watched that was. I enjoyed unexpectedly because um, uh, I got a review copy through um, 
for an anime series called Nisekoi, False Love, which is like an anime romantic comedy type thing. So I wouldn't, not really my particular area of interest, but I got sent a review copy, so I watched it. Um, and sometimes things are really good because they're really original, and sometimes you just have to say that something is just a really, really well done example of what it's trying to do. Um, and that is definitely a case of that because it's not what you'd call original by any stretch of the imagination but it's just so well done and it's really charming and sweet and stuff and I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did but I did so um, Can you give us a, a little rundown of the plot of, of what it is? Yeah, it's 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 basically a bunch of cliches <laughs> um, <laughs> Strung together Strung together because it's got it starts off with a teenage boy who made who remembers making a, a promise to his childhood sweetheart and then there's this girl that he thinks might be the person who he made the secret to but then he gets then then he has to um pretend to be someone else's girlfriend um because both their families are gangsters and apparently Gangsters won't that kill each cliche, other. Eh? Yeah, Gang- gangsters won't kill each other if there's some love-struck teenagers around. They'll be like, "Oh no, we won't have a gang war because they're together." <laughs> so even though they hate each other, they're like, "Yeah." That's the opposite of Romeo and Juliet. Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's, I kind of find <laughs> yeah. that intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe the mafia bit isn't so cliche, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it's got the sort of arranged marriage thing, and it's got the um, the childhood sweethearts thing, and it mashes them together. And there's a transfer student, a new one, about every three episodes. Um, <laughs> so it's just it's just cliche after cliche, but it's really well done. And I think you know, there's a whole every time a series comes out that it's just like cliches and stuff. There's a whole generation who haven't seen that before, and it's the first thing they watch. And they're like, "Oh, I haven't seen anything like this before." <laughs> so, so it's not like the most amazing thing in the world, but it's if that's the kind of thing you like, it's a good example, and it's you can get it on Blu-ray or DVD or stream it. Uh, and it's on this; sec- it's got a second season now as well um, that's running currently, I think. But you can read my review on the website. Um, Okay, uh, moving on. Rachel, anything you've been watching you want to talk about? Um, well, I already mentioned Rick and Morty. I watched the first episode of that. And um, other stuff. Um, the one uh, item that I reviewed, uh, I think the review just went up today, actually. Uh, a little short film, 25-minute short film called Kaku Renbo, uh, that came out between, I think it was like 2004 to then 2005 is when it got all of the, you know, it went to a whole bunch of film festivals and got a whole ton of awards. Um, it's basically like a, it's a little like suspense horror, like short film about uh, these bunch of kids who hear about this game called Otokoyo, which is played at night in this one specific district of Tokyo. And apparently can any kids who go to play end up vanishing and the rumor ha- rumor is that um, demons show up and take them away. So the film basically covers these seven kids, or as if you if you look at the poster, you can see eight kids um, playing this game and uh, you know kind of getting wrapped up into the whole you know what what it what it's all about and 
are, are there demons or are there, you know, is it someone just pulling a really, really over-the-top prank? But uh, <laughs> if you look at the trailer, you can see it's, you know, by the designs, you can see there's very clearly very big, scary demons are in there, so... It was really good. I was, um, I watched that a few years back and I kind of rewatched it again this year and I forgot how, like, it doesn't have, it's not very big on jump scares, but it's very, very kind of like this, um, creeping dread that you kind of, that kind of hits you full force once you finally get to the ending. So yeah, that, I think, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I think anime does creepy quite well often. With mm-hmm. the, the way they have demons and stuff. They can be quite freaky, because um, obviously there's you can't scare people quite in the same way as you can with live action and animation. But you can certainly creep people out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> with the right atmosphere and stuff, and by creating really freaky things. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of that before. I read your review, and it sounds very interesting. It's good. It's, else? it's hard to it's hard to find, but it's uh, it's worth seeking out. Um, something I wanted to talk with uh, Jill is if um, something I've been following up, you know, the past week or so since it uh, came, since it started to air again on uh, Disney XD, uh, Star Wars Rebels. Yes. It's been fantastic so far. I am so happy Rex is back. I can't even (laughs) tell you. I am so happy (laughs) that we got those two episodes. I mean, understandably, I'm not entirely sure why they had to make it it had to be two episodes instead of just one full one, but maybe that just yeah. helped pace it out better. I don't know. Well, I guess it helped flesh it out and explore more of the storyline. So, because I mean, I like the complexity of the storyline they went with with uh, exploring Kanan's distrust of the clones with the whole Order sixty six ordeal. And if anyone's been reading the um, prequel comics that tie into the series, uh, the Last Padawan. Yeah, I, I, I followed it, some of those. Yeah, and it explores what Kanan goes through after Order Order 66 occurs, and he basically sees his Jedi Master get killed right before his eyes by people they thought they were their friends. Mm-hmm. And everything in him on the run. So having read those and then watching it play out on the screen, how it affected him as an adult and how he has a really difficult time trusting Rex and the other clones, that was, mm-hmm. I thought, really well done. And it really rewards the viewer if they read those comics or if they were aware of Order 66 as yeah. well. So it was a very, I think, layered episode. And yeah, definitely. I, think, I definitely think it could have been a singular episode, but I'm not complaining that it was split in two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole thing where they had Zeb be the lure for that big worm thing, I was, it, it was, it was funny and it was, but I was also kind of like, oh God, no, Zeb. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't let anything bad happen to him. No, he's one of my favorite characters so far. Yeah, but it wasn't a it wasn't a necessary scene or anything. Mm-hmm. Especially since they ended up getting rid of the what they caught anyway. So yeah, the but thing that kind entire of... sequence um in the the second part of the episode where they had the you know the big giant you know imperial walkers like chasing after them while they're on their tiny little uh like republican one. <laughs> Yes. That, uh, sandstorm was fantastic. It, I don't know why, but it gave me some kind. It it kind of gave me a what was it? Um, it reminded me it, another you know crazy sci-fi uh, series, uh, Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, when they're in that nebula mm. 
and they're trying mm-hmm. to find each other, and they're, they're you know, completely blind because in the um, storm, and they're just trying to find each other and, you know, make quick strikes at each other. It kind of reminded me of that for some reason. Right. Just the, the tension that it created. Well, yeah, it was a very in- intense scene, anything, but overall, the whole episode was fantastic, and I'm glad they actually brought on Rex and the clones back mm-hmm. to the Rebel base. And then because for a while it didn't seem like they were going to do that, but now they're reunited with ah- Ahsoka as well from mm-hmm. Clone Wars. So I think we're in for a good season too. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm gearing up for it, especially since the next episode previews. Um, they're they're introducing one of the uh, new Inquisitors that they've been showing off in the all the mm-hmm. trailers. Yes, the the seventh sister. So uh, I'm excited. They, yeah, she seems Sarah very Michelle Gellar, aka mm-hmm. the Buffy the Jedi, Je- Buffy the Jedi Slayer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it'll be a very interesting season. It's they're definitely going into much darker territory right now, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Good. So yeah. am I. Hi. Yay. I saw the trailer and it looked badass. Oh, it is so great. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah, then... especially. It's really good. And especially with the Siege of Lothal earlier this summer. Yeah, well, that was huge. Mini movie. Yeah, that was huge. And including an encounter with Darth Vader. Hmm. Um, basically, essentially the on-screen assassination of a political figure. Yeah. In the series, which... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was surprising know. on a show geared towards six to twelve year olds. <laughs> I don't know. I think the whole the whole thing in the first season where they had um, where uh, Tarkin had those two guys, those two um, those two kind of reoccurring characters, literally beheaded. Yes, it's just like they they didn't. I mean, they they kind of cut away just as it happened, but still, it was it was very close. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was very clear <laughs> what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not afraid to push the envelope on that show, and it, it kind of surprises me with how much Disney is letting them get away with on there and stuff. But, I mean, I'm loving it, so it's excellent. So if you're not watching it and you like anything Star Wars, it's worth your time. Definitely. <laughs> For sure. And the only other thing that I've watched um, recently, I only managed to watch one episode of it, but... uh um, the K Project anime that had its new season, uh, its new, uh, season started for that also, and, um, I managed to watch the very first episode of that, and animation is as beautiful as I remember, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where they take the plot after every, all the events that happened in the, um, the movie, the in-between movie that they have between season one and two. If I had anything to complain about, it's the fact that they, um, this season seems to be taking, uh, at least in just this one episode, it seems to be abusing its fan service just a little much for my taste. But that's, hmm. you know, to each their own. Yeah, that's Japan sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I noticed that there was a new season of that because I remember you reviewed that. And I also noticed there was a new series of Noragami that you were also a fan of. I wondered if you were going to plan... Well, I assume you're going to watch the new series at some point. Oh, I definitely am. I just I wasn't yeah. sure if it was out yet. I haven't I haven't had a chance to really check and see if they've released a new episode of that yet or or not. So I'm going to have to look into that. And if I find one, I'll watch it. And then I will let you guys know what I think of it. I think it started. 
I think. It did? Oh my god. Yeah, I think so. I think we're, you know, a couple of weeks into the new season, as they call it. And all I want to know is, why is no one streaming the new Lupin the Third series? That's what I want to know. There's a new Lupin the Third series? Yeah, it was made co-production with Italy or something. And it aired in Italy before... And it's like the first new TV series they've done in. That's amazing. Well, I mean, they do fetishize. I mean, it's an Italian car that Lupin Third drives, isn't it? So they do they do fetishize a lot of like Italian yeah. culture throughout this the series. So there, kind there of makes a, sense. There was a series a couple of years ago as well. Oh, Fujiko Mine, the one that's t- yeah. that. Yeah, it was its own thing. But this mm. is this is like sequel to the TV series. Interesting. Um, the only thing I can the only thing I, I can assume is that they they want to release it properly and they're not you know they're holding on to it for a reason rather than anything else yeah. really. Well, that uh, interesting. Uh, you can actually watch like loads of the old TV series. They've put them on in America. They put them on Hulu and stuff like legitimately. <laughs> so I suppose it might come along. But I want to watch it. <laughs> it's, got a blue ja- it's got a blue jacket this time, I think. I think that's the... Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because each season, different Ruined. kind of jacket. Ruined, forget it. With the jacket colours and Lupin, it's sort of like... It's kind of like odd-numbered Star Trek movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where you can kind of, like, literally just... Oh, it's blue jacket. It's going to be good. Like, I don't know exactly what one's... <laughs> Are good and which ones are bad, but he he will switch from like blue, red, and green jacket. <laughs> but the art I've seen from it looks really. Oh, actually, I've actually seen the opening titles, um, and they are pretty gorgeous. So I want to see more, but I can't. So what am I going to do? Um, Jill, have you been watching anything else you want to talk about? Uh, pretty much just Gravity Falls. Lately, uh, that has a really big episode coming out tomorrow. It's one of the season yeah. finale, right? I think it is the season finale. It sure feels like it. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure though, um, just because of how everything's pretty much come together and everything. So we're going to see the results of what they've been building up towards for the second half of the season. Uh, so I won't say anything since Chris isn't caught up, and I don't want to spoil him. <laughs> and that's that's part of the that's part of the fun of the show is all the twists and big reveals and totally all that. yeah so I want you to have the full ride Chris <laughs> yeah thank you yes <laughs> but yeah for anyone else uh, definitely make sure to tune in and show the series some love it's still not greenlit for another season by Disney yet which is odd uh, since it's doing so well and it seems to be making the studio happy. So we'll see. Hopefully, if it gets greenlit soon after tomorrow night, or when uh, it, so it, it is airing tomorrow night. At what it time? is airing tomorrow night. I want to say nine thirty. I watch everything on demand now, <laughs> 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 but I want to say nine thirty since that's the typical time. Uh, nine thirty or eight. Is it really nine thirty? Yeah, I found I find it really odd. Like, like um... I guess they really do just want people to record it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, what kid is watching anything at that time? In America? <laughs> they're they're watching it pretty late. Yeah, you would be surprised and everything. I'm always surprised. Oh, it's it's more 8.30, I think. Hang on. 
Let's oh, see. That's much, that's much better. <laughs> Let's see. I'm confirming it now. Oh, 8 p.m. Oh, it's actually going to be a two-parter. Too. So this is so this is the first part. I, I I thought it was one episode, but it's actually it's a two-parter. Oh my! Yes. So eight o'clock tomorrow night on Disney XD. All right, I'm gonna record that. I don't know, I don't know where I'm gonna be tomorrow night, so I'm just gonna make sure I get that <laughs> set to record. Yep. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what they've been building up towards, and I'm sure it's gonna be a wild ride. Yep. It always is with Gravity Falls. <laughs> yes. And that's pretty much. All I've been watching is uh, Star vs. the Forces of Evil wrapped up a few weeks ago, and that was excellent. So now we need to wait for season two, and that actually has Giancarlo Volpe working on it. And he's the man behind Green Lantern, the animated series, which had a lot of emotionally strong moments. Totally. So season two of Star vs. the Forces of Evil, I would expect to be a very big emotional roller coaster with him on the crew now. So we'll see what happens with that. And... Wander Over Yonder is still doing really well as well. I've been watching that as well. <laughs> and it's still as fun as ever. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Mm-hmm. So apparently there's a connection between Gravity Falls and Rick and Morty. In oh. That, there's, oh yes. there's a little reference. Supposedly. Oh, yeah, I saw that. So, something gets sucked through a portal in an episode of Gravity Falls. And there is a point where there are loads of portals in um, in um, uh, Rick and Morty. And if you look carefully, you can see, I think it's a mug and a pen or something that got sucked through the portal in the background. So like, you have to be watching really closely to see it, but they just, mm. even just like two or three frames, just like, just sort of flops out. <laughs> and and in the second season there's like in the episode where um the parents go on their like marriage like counseling trip i don't I'm, I'm trying to like w- walk around that episode and not spoil it um there's a point where you can see like a character from gravity's falls on a screen hey. wow and apparently it's because um Justin Roiland and Alex Hirscher, like, good night. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know, like, mm. his, his back, Justin Roiland's background in voice acting, but now I know that he is um, Lemon Grab. That makes so much sense. <laughs> this castle is in unacceptable condition! Unacceptable! He's such a fantastic voice actor. He's so, so good. He's been, mm-hmm. apparently he's been producing stuff in Hollywood for for years. You know, like a lot of the people who are working on Rick and Morty are, are old, you know, industry buddies of his. Cool. Yeah, interesting. I mean, like, um, you know, in the same way um, that uh, what's the name of the guy from Family Guy? What's his name? Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane was, you know, he was, you know, he was really deeply entrenched in the animation industry. He wrote loads of Dexter's Lab, didn't he? Um, yeah, he did, um, and um, I think he was he-, he was pretty involved in uh, Johnny Bravo as well. Yeah, 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 really, uh, yeah, 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 too. And um, yeah, uh, Justin Roiland has worked on quite a lot of stuff, and which is funny to look at some of his. I mean, well, Doc and Marty is such a great example. <laughs> the Rick and Morty. Oh, show also, he did a great thing called Is it House of Cosby's? House of Cosby's, yeah, which is pretty That's, dark. Looking back on that's it, brilliant. <laughs> 
Um, it's pretty dark, yeah. but it's not it's not flattering to him at all. You can oh, sure, that. sure, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. You get to really hear the the the, the range of his voice because he does so many different voices for Bill Cosby and all the different Cosbys. <laughs> he actually does a voice in Gravity Falls too. Really? Yeah, ah. he's Blendon Blandon, that the time traveler. Oh ah. my god! Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. I, that might have been an episode that I watched recently then, because I watched one that had time travel in it. So perhaps that was it. It <laughs> 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 probably was. <laughs> yes, it was in season one. Um. Jason, was there anything you've been watching you want to talk about? Um, I haven't been watching that much animated stuff recently. I mean, uh, uh, as I said earlier, I've been watching the the DVD commentaries of um, Rick and Morty Season 1, which have been really illuminating, um, mm-hmm. learning how different parts of the crew rely on one another. Like the, the director of, of Rick and Morty apparently is very integral to, to the jokes landing properly, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting to me as, as somebody who writes comedy. Um and fails to land jokes constantly, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> making me think that I have some some members missing on my team. We, uh, my girlfriend and I spent an evening watching Shimonetta, the the really perverted Japanese anime that's just really genuinely very very funny um, and really spontaneous. Uh, have you heard of that one? Uh, doesn't bring a bell. Yeah, it doesn't but, bring any bells for me either. Fortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Although, to narrow it down, Jeff perverted anime. Uh... <laughs> well, it's not like, it's not hentai or anything. Um, it, it's, what is it? So it's like a high school that's like a, a really, um, uh, what would you, like politically correct high school. Um, society is like kind of a little bit, um, it's a little bit dystopian that like people are really kind of clamped down on and what they can and can't think. And there's this one high school is like this bastion of ethics. Um, who are, you know, like the number one sort of, you know, non-perverted uh, uh, high school. Um, but as a result of that, nobody knows what sex is or, like, what genitals are or, like, what they're for and stuff, which leads to these really comic misunderstandings. And there's this one character who's, like, this kind of perverted terrorist who just, like, shows up naked with a mask on and she just, like like uh, underwear bombs public places and people run around <laughs> screaming and they don't know how to deal with it um it's re- it's it's very very funny um and i don't mm. see that about many anime uh it, it's very 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 funny um and yeah we sat down and we don't binge usually but we got through the whole series so far and <laughs> it's very it's it's yeah i i actually i really recommend it not since like um oh god what i mean yeah like i mean Golden Boy, I suppose, is the most similar anime to it that I've seen, but it's not really saying much. I haven't seen that much anime, to be honest. I think it's because it, uh, a lot of anime have like really incredibly long English titles these days. Yes. Um, I think its English title is something like about a world where dirty jokes don't exist. That's exactly it. Shimonetta, a yeah. boring world where the concept of dirty jokes doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the names that they have in anime these days. Yeah. Is 
interesting. They're strange, but you uh, gotta love them sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I often talk about this with people, how, how free they are to experiment with concepts, whereas, like, in the West, we seem very bound by these kind of, like, you know, seven basic plots style of just, like, yeah, this hero does this, and this person does that, and it's it's important that these things happen in that order. And, you know, in Japan, it's like, what if there was a terrorist that used pants as a bomb? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah. It's a <laughs> I'll admit, I don't think at least I've never heard anything like that before. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just the stuff that gets funded in Japan. I mean, like um, Cat Soup. If you ever seen that, uh, which oh, that's is great, yeah, um, animated by Masaki Yuasa, who you'll know from Mind Games and from that one-off Adventure Time that's all gorgeous, um, mm-hmm. and written by this manga artist called Nekajiro, who uh, actually killed herself towards the end of the nineties, um, but. Before she did, she wrote this manga, which is kind of set in this really cute um, animal world where they're kind of people. It's just, I think, maybe they're animal representations of animal farming. Um, and it's, like, really cute and light and silly, but it's about a child rescuing their sibling from the underworld um, and, like, drowning themselves to get there. Um, and it's really gorgeous and beautiful, and it must cost a real packet to make. And you'd never, you never get a, a film like that. I mean, it's not really a film; it's like half an hour long. But you'd, you'd never get something like that funded here. I just don't think. No, I think, I think honestly, it's just the fact that it comes with the abundance. So, like stuff like that gets funded, but for stuff like that to get funded on a sort of more regular basis, you have to have a, a sea of crap, like <laughs> you know, um, supporting it in, in, in an industry. I think. I think that's unfortunately sort of where more anime is is at once just a dirge and the worst and also the best and where the most interesting ideas seem to come from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for there to be a cream of the crop, you know, there has to be a crop to, to rise through. And mm-hmm. you know, and I guess it's sort of like the 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 law of, of odds, isn't it? You know, if you've got tons and tons of stuff, one of them's going to be pretty all right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. But I think in Japan, I mean, the the wages that get paid to animators in Japan are sort of legendarily bad. I mean, if you look at the the, mm-hmm. I think I saw, I looked at a schedule of a of an of an anime artist the other day, and it's just horrendous. I mean, it's you know, not these... fun, and yeah, and it really can yeah weigh weigh on weigh on people. But they're not unionized at all, and there's almost this like idea that. Oh, like the, the an idea which would be very quickly poo pooed here, which is you know, um, oh you you might you might not really love it if you don't want to do it for crap money. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's you're right. They really are terrible. I mean, I've heard even you know um, on movies, uh, big studios, people are paid you know a, a pittance compared to. Compared to, you know, in, in the West. So, mm. yeah, I guess that also, you know, is, is where the abundance comes from. Well, in a sense, I mean, we rely on that in, in the West as well. I mean, all of our, all of our studios are in, you know, Indonesia or in Korea now. Mm, mm. And it's like, yeah, why are we doing that? Well, it's for that exact reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. As for anything else that I've been watching, not much, really. Just, you know, I mean, I've been watching, I've been, like, re-watching um, Xavier Renegade Angel 
uh, from Adult Swim, which is just I, I don't know if anyone's that familiar with some of the more obscure like Adult that. Swim stuff. Sorry, I've not heard of that. Xavier oh, it's okay. So, do you ever see um, you ever see Wonder Chosen? Yeah. So same guys as Wonder Chosen. Um, oh right. So, so they made this. They made two seasons of it. Second one's pretty good. First one is absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's this glitchy, like old uh, sort of you know Shenmue style PlayStation graphics uh, animated series um, mm-hmm. about this wandering snake handed um, sort of anthropod guy uh, who's like it's kind of like um, Kung Fu with what's the name of the guy who who, who hung himself with a belt cord David Carradine David Carradine I could have just said Bill but I went straight for the autoerotic <laughs> asphyxiation classic, <laughs> classic Jake goes straight for the autoerotic so um, so so yeah uh, and it's like him in Kung Fu just wandering from place to place writing wrongs except mm. he creates the wrongs and then doesn't write them and it's really funny um <laughs> And it's it's great. It's great. It's really really good. Um, big uh, sort of David O'Reilly vibes in terms of like how like like there's loads of like audio jokes where it's just kind of like things repeating weirdly and and you know little motifs just like repeating in the background and it's good for, for you know if you're if you're like eagle eyed and, and you like. I'm always astonished by what Adult Swim, Greenlight, mm. and also you know like make two seasons of it's. They're the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you ever see Twelve Ounce Mouse? Yeah, you showed me that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah then Twelve <laughs> yeah. Ounce Mouse. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, if it, 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 I can't describe how basic the animation for that is. It's not even that the animation is basic, though it is. It's more that the drawings were all done on, like, you can see the back of. On, on the back of the drawings that they've got, there's like you can see text because they've used like scrap paper, scrap paper, misprinted <laughs> printer paper <laughs> to, to draw them on. And it's and and the pilot of Twelve Ounce Mouse, I have been watching maybe once every four or five months since I was about eighteen years old, <laughs> and I'm twenty nine now, and it's just like so so good. The the best opening scene of any cartoon I've ever seen, and that includes a lot. Um, just because it's so funny and so weird and it smacks of because they made a whole series of it it smacks of uh, a pilot that was that was greenlit that was never expected to be greenlit so they just kind of you know <laughs> it was all like this rolling like stream of consciousness madhouse and then they get to the end of the episode and then Adam's like great okay we'll take a season and they're like what? <laughs> so all of these concepts that are loosely touched upon now have to be justified in like a wider reality so they make whole episodes about them and it's not very good because they're really kind of clutching at straws but that pilot that perfect pilot ah so so funny so so good so it's a bit like when they make a movie based on a trailer yeah yeah actually yeah yeah that's that's a good way of putting it yeah like oh, machete think... or whatever. <laughs> That's a good way of making things, except for the reason I just specified. <laughs> oh, we have to put the bit in where he's got the, where they've got the guns for boobs or whatever, because <laughs> it's in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do we how do, how do we justify that now? <laughs> in a world where guns <laughs> are boobs. <laughs> uh. Um. But yeah. Aside from aside from that. Uh. Yeah. Nothing really. That's just. Whatever, not too lately. Okay, so 
Shall we get into our main topic and talk about Sam's Sweet Milk? Yeah! Uh, how datch was that? It was pretty datch. Um, what? You know, that datch. It's a new swear word I'm trying out. Can you strike that one off the list, please? Specify list? Uh, ten super fun things Ghostworth never let me do? List deleted. What? Why? Deletion source, crew member Ghostworth. Right, so... <laughs> We're going to talk about some Sam sweet milk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, you were talking a, a bit about the concept before, um, but how did it all get started? It's a good place to start, I suppose. Sure. Um, as good as any. So, in about 2009, uh, I was in a bed sit in South London writing a glam rock odyssey, which was called Spandex. <laughs> Um, and I, I had started writing it in university and it was, uh, it was set in 1979. It was about two rival glam bands, uh, one going the commercial route, one going the grassroots kind of way, uh, vying for popularity, each of them unknowingly in the shadow of punk, which was a, a wave that was about to crash. Um, and it was about the main character kind of wandering around the earth and picking up bandmates as he went along to create this sort of glam rock super band called Glam Fetterman. Uh, and, <laughs> And I got really genuinely bored about halfway through writing this thing, and I had to remind myself that writing was fun. So uh, Archer had just been out for a little while at that point, um, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll write something. You know, I like cartoons. I'll write something animated. So, um, so I, I wrote this script called Captain Sweet Milk Sex Venturer, um, <laughs> which is very, very similar to the first episode we made. Um, and there's some scenes that. Are lifted from it wholesale, uh, except the Vela, whose original name was Cora, but we had to change that for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. uh, that she was this bored baroness on this uh, space station, and Sam was this horny idiot daddy's boy on his sort of like on this bought uh, spaceship. Ghostworth was Japanese. Um, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it starts with them hitting a cat in space. In the middle of just nothing in every direction forever. And it's just a really awkward moment where Sam goes out with a shovel to pick it up. God knows why he'd need to do that. And he's, it's, and the cat's still alive. And he's like, oh God. So he, he puts his foot underneath its head and goes to like lift the shovel up, like put it out of its misery and he's crying. And then he whacks it and this cat's like meow, 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 off into space. And he's like, oh no. <laughs> and, it's, and it's this carry on. <laughs> I had a great, I mean, actually, it opens up with a captain's log that's narrated by uh, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, and it's the diary of a five-year-old um, talking about how their day went at nursery, and that was going to be a re- repeating motif throughout every episode. Oh, my uh, gosh. And it just was going to make no sense whatsoever, and I, I had so much fun writing it that I dropped the the spandex entirely and started writing episodes of what what I later made into something else, which was which was Sam Sweetmilk, which was uh, the working title that stuck. It, uh, the, eventually, I settled on Sam of Space, which I still like better, but I think a little bit too uh, too invested now to change that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> so you came at its perspective as more of you're a writer over an animation person. Yes. Aha. Which is a different perspective to what we've had before. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> and 
I think yeah. there's definitely downsides to it, unfortunately. Like, I mean, I, I love board, uh, board-driven shows, and the way I think is board-driven, so my scripts are about three times as long as they ought to be. Um, <laughs> but I don't think there's 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 ever reattaining that feeling of um, just that purity of, of, of concept. Like, if you'd look at, like, Natasha Allegri's Being Puppycat, you know, she did the boards, and then mm-hmm. she animated it, and... You know, like you, you have that coherence throughout it where you can tell, oh yeah, that's exactly what she wanted and that's exactly as she thought it would look like. Um, whereas if you're, if you're kind of pushing your awkwardly described vision through about seven or eight hands, you don't have that cohesion in the same way. Um, but, uh, to, to, to try and fill the gap, like I, uh, I got a scholarship to study production at the animation workshop in, uh, Denmark, which wasn't very long. It was uh-huh. only a few weeks, yeah. but, um, but you know, I learned a lot from that, um, and from being around people who were as passionate about making cartoons as they as they wanted to be around. You know, um, and then uh, I think it, so. A lot of when you when you're going the writing route, which I actually recommend because I think a lot of artists, uh, just from what I can tell, without criticizing anybody, um, seem to seem to come at uh, a project like they're going to be the one who who does everything. You know, and they'll they'll do these pictures and do that. And I think you need a lot of experience to make things that, that look really good. So I feel really happy that I was able to just recruit people outright um, to make stuff. And it kind of skipped over that. Kind Very of, cool. That mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but I lucked out. I had to, I don't know if you heard of him. This guy, Dan Hamann, came and animated it. For, <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. I mean. Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was there for like... No, never heard of him. For like a couple of months, I think. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a good long while. Um, you can still see. Uh, well, I mean, it was, it was the the cleanup, right? It was you, you sat down with Hawkeye and did a lot of cleanups and color. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we Lots lived of, at... like helmets Sorry? and <laughs> yeah. yeah, the line art helmet that we kept for the whole thing. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, the benefits of being a writer who goes at something. I guess, but, but, yeah. but like um, the team that you put together was fantastic. I really just lucked out. I mean, I wish I could be able to tell people, "Oh yeah, you just do this, this, this," like a cheat code. <laughs> I just completely lucked out. Um, I showed up at a really good year of um, of graduates at AUB, uh, uh, University of Bournemouth, and I showed up out of my mind on Adderall with a fistful of business cards at the, the screening show. <laughs> oh and gosh. I've not prescribed Adderall, I and I don't buy it on the black market but there was this random american that i met at a bus stop and she came to my house um and there was a bunch of it was back where so so dan when dan stayed and did the the, the cleanup we were living in this five-story house in bethnal green in london uh which was financed by a friend of mine who uh through kind of a long kind of contrived way had this very big house and filled it with people that he found interesting and one of those people was me for god knows why and um and she came and she bored the socks off everyone but she did have this big pocket full of prescription drugs and fast forward a few steps and there i am at, at, at this screening and i see this um this short called the swan um by uh by michal golek and uh, uh hock ziegler and a few other people and it was just amazing, and it's still. I was talking to an AUB grad uh, uh, yesterday, actually, and um, and he was saying it's still still like a fan favorite among um, among current students there. Um, just like the, the the parallax effect with like the sun streaming the into the windows, truck into 
into the church um and that they've done I mean, it, you know it's 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 folly to try and describe it it's gorgeous and it um didn't make any sense at all um so it struck me as like a like a like a captainless ship that i could that i could uh appropriate so i so i really like had a hard sell on like you know getting those two on board um, and then i stole six months of their life and then <laughs> <I> began... <laughs> Um, but I mean, aside I mean for, from... for, for the better. I mean, you you really mm. got some great some great work out of them. I think. Oh, so, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, um, and so the the I, I mean, I can't talk about the art in the episode without mentioning uh, Toby Blythe. Uh, sorry, Toby Clayton, uh, who uh, is an uh, an old friend who was the brother of an old friend of mine, and um, I knew him as a as a really brilliant artist, and I'd seen some of his work before, so I got in touch. Once I had this first script and I was like, hey, you know, do you want to like, um, do you want to collaborate on something? Like I can't pay much, uh, but I can pay for some, for some concept art and stuff. And he was like, yeah, cool. You know, and we sort of like talked it over and we went through loads and loads of drafts and ended up with the, with the final designs for Sam Vela Ghostworth and the villain, the avionaut who you haven't seen yet, who's coming in the next mm-hmm. episode. Oh. Um, and Toby basically killed himself working, uh, and made that full animatic. Uh, that makes up the the lion's share of of the first episode, um, and his line work is fantastic, and his you know his his poses and expressions, backgrounds are gorgeous, like really well made. He always plans them out beforehand, so all of the the um, uh, what do you call it the the layouts really make sense, you know, and he, uh, sort of the, the angles that he uses really really good. I just yeah, I just dumb luck is the only way I can describe how I got such a great artistic team on for for every episode so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I really, from what I've seen with the two episodes, I really, I really am digging the character designs for mm-hmm. for all three of the main, uh, the principal characters. And like you said, the backgrounds, at least from what the hell was in the episodes, was really, really impressive. So I cannot wait to see more. <laughs> because <laughs> thanks very much. I mean, I I can't say thanks. I say on behalf of them because they, uh, like I said earlier, they're they're gods with uh, with flames burning out of their eyes but uh, I'm, just, I'm just a pretender i'm just the person who pulled them to in the same room <laughs> and i have to say at least with um what i've you know the this two episodes ghostworth's already my favorite character i mean sam sam is close second but i have to say he's probably <laughs> i love the fact that you the first two episodes you have is a little arc with him and having to just deal with sam's bullshit yeah um yeah i'm really happy that we we ended up getting enough funding to make the second episode if anything to just a show ghostworth as being anything more uh, more than just a tragic character who bad things happen to and b show Mm -hmm. sam as being anything but you know being more than a than a child you know people were saying in the comments after the the first episode like yeah i really wanted that sam guy to die at the end he had no redeeming (laughs) He was a vehicle for jokes, it seemed, and was just a, you know, and Ghostworth was being used as a foil, despite being the most emotional and resonant character in the thing. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. And, you know, and and then there was the thought when the first two Kickstarters failed, which they did, um, that I wasn't going to be able to be like, oh, but actually, by the way, these characters who I care a lot about aren't what you're thinking. And I'm really glad that we got to do that, because I feel like we left the last episode with everyone really where I want them to be. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's an egotistical way to put it, but like I, I want people to think what I think they thought at the end of the last episode. No, I totally get what you're saying, especially when you're, you know, you're, you're writing out 
these characters, you definitely, like, when you're trying to introduce them to an audience, you know, you'll have a first impression, but then, you know, you know, people will think about the, the character a certain way, and then you're just like, oh, no, wait, there's more to them than that. Yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, a good yeah. for it. Wait for it. Yeah. And especially when you have, like, you know, like, a short amount of time to 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 make an episode and you've thought about this entire world and these characters in their lives and how they would approach like almost every situation it must mm. be like really difficult really to distill that in in a really efficient way mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think if if you get the right idea of either character it's purely by accident i'm terrible at explaining my ideas um for the reasons you just said. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you get so wrapped up in it. It's like, oh, yeah, of course everybody knows this really obscure thing that I haven't explained whatsoever. So uh, it's fine. I won't. I just won't mention it. <laughs> like, I think the whole series smacks of that, really, because we we just hit the ground running and everyone's like, okay, so, so he lost his memories? I think you mentioned that twice in the whole episode, but it somehow underpins everything and it's really important. It's like, yes. <laughs> it's like what? So, uh, yeah. so are we going to find out about that, or you're not going to explain it? It's like yes. <laughs> no, I think I think there is definitely a sense that like you're building a world, and there's a wider world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You certainly get a sense from the last episode of like the vastness yes. of space and the possibilities of everything they could encounter. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad that that came across. Yeah, I mean, I sort of. You know, the concept is that there's this big, vast universe of people who have who have evolved far past causing problems for one another ever. And then Sam shows up, who's kind of like <laughs> this agent of chaos, like the mask. And, <laughs> and you know, he, he, he's lost and he's childish and he's hurt and angry and he's kind of going out in every direction at once. And then you've got poor Ghostworth who's tagged along and he's no, no idea why he doesn't just leave, which we give him the opportunity to, of course, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I'm really looking forward to to expanding that in the next episode. We definitely do. We, we really do. It's um, uh, we get to show how the two of them met Vela, um, and we get to show how the the uh, the bird man that Sam mentions uh, in episode in the, in the opening scene of episode one um, comes into it, um, and then we also cut to a little bit later on, which is. Uh, episode three so it's it's about two-thirds episode zero and one-third episode three so it's a little bit disingenuous to say that uh that we're making episode three because technically we are but um and uh and yeah i'm just yeah really looking forward to expanding the universe and and kind of having more satisfying arcs nice yeah um you definitely build up a universe like in the small details i think um because you can just spell things out like really obviously. That's another way of doing things, but it can, can come off really clunky. Yeah. But I think that if you've just got someone saying this is how the universe works and blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. then I think it's much better to tell it like in small details, like what you've done. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah, that was really well done. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of you you hint at. Mm-hmm. Little aspects of a large shape, right? You know, like if you if you describe the shape, then the shape could be more sort of simple and straightforward than you think. But the the more that you leave untold, the more people's you know imaginations can do it. It's as, it's as much about the what you don't describe, I think, 
Um, mm-hmm. And we don't describe anything, which is you know must be really indi- really engrossing. <laughs> <laughs> I think so personally, because that's that's you know the whole thing with animation and it's film in general. Show don't tell. Sure, yeah, sure, and um, and we don't yeah we don't really show or tell anything uh, for the most part. <laughs> then you're on the right track. <laughs> that's what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to say that I was watching like the preview for like the third episode or whatever, and when I heard who was doing the voice of of the villain, I did actually I was watching it on my own, but I did actually say out loud, "Oh my god!" Colin McFarlane. Colin McFarlane, the the he's amazing. The poison whiskey drinking commissioner from the Dark Knight. Mm. And also many voices from the Dennis the Menace cartoon series. He's he's a bit of a bit of a legend in Britain. He's, he's all over the place. Up all over the place. He's, yeah, he's the he's voice of like, Coco. He's, the, he's that voice. For me, he's he he will always be the um the the cop in that episode of Black Books. Yes. Okay. So I'll tell you how I met Colin McFarlane. So I was on a I was on a train going up to Lincoln because he lives in Lincoln where I'm from. Um, and I sat next to him because we had clearly both taken advantage of the same discount offer and we're both on these fiver tickets. And he sits down <laughs> next to me and I clock him and I'm just like, Eep. and he point, I point at him and he's like, yes, yes, yes. And I was like, you were, you were in black books. And he was, and he just had this like <laughs> blank look and he was like, nobody ever says black books. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. And he was like, yeah. Yeah, you, the and dark night. He was like, yeah, I was in the Batman films. And I was like, oh, what, really? oh, okay, cool. So it was like work. What was it like working with the Black Books guys? And he and he just went off on one. He was just saying how great it was to work with Bill Bailey and didn't really see much of of, of um, Bernard Black. What was it? Uh, Dylan Moran? Dylan Moran. Dylan Moran. Dylan Moran. Um, mm-hmm. And we got talking, and he gave me a business card because I've been uh, ranting on about myself, which I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's awful. And um, and uh, uh, yeah, so I got in touch with him and was just like, "Look, I'm making this." this short and I just came into I so I used to be a roadie um for about seven years and I'd just come off this big double tour like a summer long tour and I had about um I used to make about six grand a year um and I lived off that while I was writing uh, it was horrendous and um and I had that six grand and I was like I need to I need to lock myself into this project or I'm never going to make it so I'm going to spend a you know a good enough chunk of money recording you doing this this episode which we never ended up making so i had this i have these really expensive mp3 files (laughs) for years you know for years and years um and and we recorded him for the episode the luckily i've kept mostly intact that we're making next um Mm -hmm. and and yeah he's he's great he's a voice like cthulhu um (laughs) and uh Just really looking for because because the, the avianaut is this seven foot tall glowering face of like um, religious zealotry uh, and just fits him like a glove. He's just brilliant, you know. He um, also voices uh, Secateur, who's the head of the Automatic Empire, which is this uh, robot empire that you uh, learn about in the next episode as well. Ooh, exciting! <laughs> All right. <laughs> He was also recently in Doctor Who, and they completely squandered him and killed him off. Oh like, yeah, that was minutes. awful. Yeah, I was like, come yeah. on, yeah, you've got that guy with that voice, and you turn into a ghost. Oh, <laughs> to be fair, That's ghosts in Doctor Who do have a pretty, you know, like that doesn't mean necessarily mean it's the end for them when they die. 
Yeah, but he didn't have any lines. <laughs> uh, it's like Chekhov's gun. No it's like, when's he going to speak? Yes. So I'm looking forward to hearing him. Definitely. Yes. And finding out more about the uh, the universe and the robots and stuff. That sounds awesome. Oh, great. Oh, God. So, so J- Jason, I've got I've got to ask you, like the tone that you've that you've um, that you've got is really unique. Um, it's kind of like slightly melancholic at times, and I really like that you're not, you know, um, you're not doing that thing where it's like, ah, oh, I got to keep your attention all the time, and you're, mm-hmm. you're quite happy to sort of let the characters just sit there for a second and actually be. Because that's the moments where, you know, characters kind of reveal themselves more than anything else, really. Um, so I just want to ask, like, how do you, what, what do you do to, like, stay on track with, with things like that? I mean, I think the key, so my writing style, I've named it the find a parachute on the way down method. So <laughs> I just start writing with no idea how it's going to go or some vague idea of, like, maybe, but usually it's held together by the jokes I want to tell. <laughs> Um, so it's like, okay, so how do we have, uh, you know, uh, this one line that's completely disparate from the entire universe and you have to really think yourself into a circle to, to get there. But, um, in the waiting times between these episodes, sometimes you have the moments that seem to draw people to the cut, <laughs> um, and seem to be the primary selling point of the show. So that's, that's one thing. Um, I mean, I, I've never, I've ne- I mean, what I kind of find in, um, in Western cartoons, it is exactly what you say, that sort of ADD of, you know, it's like, this is happening and everyone's yelling all the time. And while that's great for clarity, you know, everyone always hears the jokes and everyone's, you know, under no uh, pretense over who's doing what at what time. Uh, I do feel like a little bit of realism is lost somehow. Um, and the suspension of disbelief is lost. And I think in sci-fi, that's that's pretty key. It's a linchpin. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean, I'm trying to think of example. I mean, can you can you name an example and I can tell you why, like from like a, in a scene? Oh, not really. There, <laughs> there, there, there's there's something quite natural about how the characters interact, basically. Oh, I see. Okay. Sure. Um, well, I think that's just part the of interaction that. with um with Sam and Vela and the and the condom. Yes, well, the that was mo- so great. I, mean, <laughs> I love that joke. I mean, were you, were you guys in the room together when you, when you recorded that? No, no. Um, Trisha Pierce is in LA, so I just have her re-record things a million times, much to her detriment and lack of sanity. <laughs> um, and she's um, she's fantastic. I mean, she she yeah, that she, line at the end of the scene uh, where um, where. Uh, I mean, it was an intended joke where, you know, Sam's like, what, so I'm unattractive? And she's like, no. Well, well to me, technically, but th- th- that doesn't matter. <laughs> and and her, her delivery of that really brought a lot of humor to the line where there was none, I don't think, on the page. Um, and, oh. and it's true of a lot of, of a lot of lines in the first episode, too. Um, but in terms of having it all natural, um, that was a much longer scene originally, so I kind of kept... It meandered a lot more, and there was a lot more pauses. Um, and it, it didn't originally end with um, uh, with Sam not knowing what sex was. Uh, that was actually a creation of 
and mine and our, uh, our co-producer Anna Estevalos, she she came over and I was like, look, I'm having trouble with this scene. I think Sam comes comes off as kind of a dick um, and a bit of a misogynist, which he isn't. He's just he just doesn't really know what he's doing. And she was like, well, let's let's explore that. Why doesn't he know what he's doing? And I mean, the scene came out of that. Um, but in yeah, terms that was, of like that was team, really um, surprising. I really liked that actually. It. Mm-hmm. That actually um, was a great insight to who he is, and and certainly like from what you're talking about, people not liking him um, from from the first episode you did. I certainly left this episode with a much stronger understanding of maybe why I might want to take pity on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. same. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's definitely. Yes. A, I don't think. Yeah, the tragedy of his character came across in the first episode whatsoever. Um, and we kind of because we go back to episode zero, we go to like old Sam, where he's like really quite mentally young and still on this adventuring kick. Mm. Um, and then when we get to skip over to the third episode, I'm, I'm hoping cause, because the dynamic between Sam and Ghostworth changes quite a lot between uh, uh, these episodes, you know, because because. So the concept was with classic Ghostworth, it was about um, breaking his personality, um, and then with with new Ghostworth, it was about about resetting him like a bone that had broken and set wrong. You know, so mm-hmm. he he was set into this uh, idea of like I'm a tool, I'm a robot, I'm a utility. Um, I you know it's my job to do whatever I'm told, and it took his own death. Um, to kind of pull him out of that and have him actually recognize the fact that he, he's got more of a personality than that. Otherwise he wouldn't have a problem with it, which he clearly did, you know? Um, and so in the new episode, it was about mm-hmm. um, retraining him, you know? So it was, hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't really Sam that had the problem across either of the episodes, I suppose. But, um, but then I guess that's, you know, I can't, can't really comment on that too much because that's mostly up into the interpretation of the audience. Well, now we're more mm. endeared. We're definitely more endeared to, uh, to Ghostworth, as I said before, so far he's my favorite character. But now, you know, with the second episode, with the hints that you've dropped about, you know, the whole, how the whole, you know, memory wiping thing has affected Sam, you know, how, you know, there's, there's more of a character to be found with him and that, you know, will be, continue to be, you know, see layers of as we, you know, as episodes come out. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to to giving more of an insight, you know, into Sam's private moments, you know, not ones where he's showing off or doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I'm really I'm really glad. So we're at, yeah, we're nearly at funding now, and you know, it just it's just getting. I'm just getting more and more excited about it. You know, I'm spending every free moment thinking about how this next episode is going to play out and and what the structure of it's going to be like. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm interested in. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go first, Joe. You first. <laughs> I'm interested to learn more about Vela and her character because we haven't seen a whole lot of her, but she is an intriguing character since she's by herself on this huge space station, middle of nowhere, basically. So, mm. so I'll be I'll be interested to learn more about her character in the future. Yeah, there's definitely um, there's there's more there's more to be explained, and and it does get explained, you know, in part. Um, although one, one teaser is that she doesn't actually know that much about her past, uh, or at least the context of it, um, which is something that we're going to be exploring as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, little mystery, little <laughs> drop of mystery for you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I, um, 
wanted to ask about, at least because you mentioned you know, the, the funding, the whole thing. How um, how has that been working out for you in terms, in terms of, you know, reaching out to the, you know, general public through the Internet in order to help fund, you know, the this this project? Um, it's been going surprisingly well. Um, episode one was the first thing that I had ever made. Um, we made some production videos beforehand, but it was like just straight off, you know, my student film, so so to speak, because I, I studied writing. I never studied, um, you know, anything film at cinema. So I was editing it, which is why the pace was so glacial. Um, and, uh, and I'm really, I was just kind of amazed that we got the funding that we did. And I think it's completely, um, uh, down uh, to just sort of like luck <laughs> for the most part mm-hmm. that we got to put it in front of so many people. Um, we lucked out. We ended up on the the front page of Reddit um, with the preview, the five minute preview, because mm-hmm. uh, I put this sob story on there about you know, like, oh well, you know, I've, I've been working for the last three years and saving up, and oh, now we got a pilot because Reddit loves a story. They love a bit of narrative to mm-hmm. go with. It. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um. And like, yeah, in terms of in terms of funding the thing, I I just, I mean, we raised thirty four thousand the first time around for the first episode. We still didn't make funding, and on Kickstarter, obviously, you get nothing if that happens. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, having failed two Kickstarters and only half realizing a third one on Indiegogo. I don't know if I'm in a position to talk about funding, successful or otherwise. <laughs> I mean, we went to such lengths. I messaged every Redditor individually who had ever commented on a thread or post of ours, which was upwards of five or 600 people, with personalized messages that commented on like what they had said or what their username was in some cases. Mm-hmm. That's that is. Yeah. I spent so many days doing that. Um, and like uh, a friend of mine was like a cam girl, so she was like urging her viewers on her cam modeling page to like donate f- f- to the cartoon. So there was money coming from that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Which is bizarre. Um, and oh god, what else? We, we, yeah, we um, members of of the team were like putting money in to bump it up, so that when it did fail, it was a really good looking failure that we'd be, be able to pitch around with. Just, you know, everybody rowing in the same direction. Um, and, you know, a lot of people put in a lot of time and a lot of effort to make that first episode happen. Most notably, Toby, um, uh, because Toby took a good solid year out of his life unpaid to make that thing. And I'm indebted wow. to him forever, really. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, I think in lieu of actual funding, it's all just effort. I mean, I'm really heavily into debt from the last episode. Um I've been working 80-hour weeks, uh, 40 hours on my day job, and another 40 in the evenings and weekends on the cartoon. Wow. Jeez. Um, That's crazy. But it, it's really starting to pay off, I think. I mean, the you know the last episode had people waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, is, which, must, which must feel great. Yeah, I mean, we got to talk about it. You know, when we made updates, people were like, oh, cool. Which is like, you need that encouragement when you're making stuff. Otherwise, you're just kind of writing or, or drawing into the dark, you know. And I think I think also, like, I, I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't think there is a, a model for, for it that works, that anyone really understands. Mm. But one thing that seems to sort of help when you're making something and you're trying to accrue a sort of internet fan base 
is to just constantly remind people that you're not dead and that <laughs> something's still happening. <laughs> yeah. get I mean, so we, made, we made no videos for like a year, you know. Um, right. and, and then after we had done that, we went on to make no videos for another year after the one that we made. And it's amazing that we have any fans. We were losing like... 60 YouTubers uh, a week uh, on our subscription uh, subscribers to our YouTube channel and God knows how we've ended up okay out of it frankly I mean and every other internet only animated series has had some industry or fan base behind it so like your Bravest Warriors yes. Adventure Time your being Puppycat had the anime crowd and the Federator backing uh, Sun Creature Studios the reward had the institution that is the animation workshop but also all of their links to you know all the animation houses in, in, in LA in, in Atlanta in New York exactly um, big fanfare and also they were D Dungeons and Dragons which has always been associated with quite a lot of money because people are willing to spend a lot of money on Dungeons and Dragons related stuff and then we show up and it's just like oh well it's kind of sort of like well no it's not really like that no it's like nothing uh, please please spend money on it <laughs> but, but, but it seems like the internet is a really cruel unforgiving place for people who want to make animation and and primarily put it on the internet yeah because when it comes to YouTube certainly their algorithms and their their sort of advertising revenue algorithms um, are really unforgiving for animators because it's all based on how quickly you can put things out and as I'm sure you might have an idea <laughs> animation takes a long time to make uh. and animators on YouTube uh, the impression I get from independent animators on YouTube is that they feel they're constantly shafted, um, sheerly, just um, purely from the sheer fact that their content uh, takes longer to make than you know yeah. someone who can do a let's play video or or, or you know ten let's play videos a day. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing that that there's algorithms working working that way. Um, and you know, like, what should we be making a you know sweet milk reacts to the royal baby video every day? <laughs> you know, no. it's it's just such a it's you know, it, and I'm not saying that that it's you know a, a less valid. I mean, if you look at what Game Grumps are doing with it, they're genuinely very very funny people. Um, and you know, like Markiplier, etc. Um, and and and. You know, it's an industry that makes sense because every new game that they play, they pick up a fraction of that game's audience. And it makes sense. It's logical. But I, yeah, like you say, I really think there ought to be some kind of forgivenesses for, for the animators because they've got their work alongside, you know, the industry and animation and, you know, industry level animation looks really, really good. And you get mm -hmm. to see when, what happens when you don't have that studio backing when you see individual animators uh, from these studios like uh, Titmouse have these 15 second are they 50 second or one minute uh, shorts that they make so every animator is allowed to just like take a day off each month or week or what have you to make their own little private project to keep them sane I guess um, wow. and you get to see that the quality of these things is really just you know it's, it's, it's YouTuber it's YouTube animator quality stuff um and when you've got that work alongside industry stuff, but you've also got the time pressure of, of, of YouTube's algorithms, you, you create work that either, you know, you really have to put the work in. Um, and I just, you yeah. either put the work in or you find a, like a, a really cheap, you know, get around and you end up with, um, 
you know, uh, that sort of like mouth replacement animation that was popular in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? When they had, um, you know, a cut out mouth and they'd sort of superimpose someone talking so they, you know, could cheat on lip sync. <laughs> but something that I, I really like that you do with Sweet Milk is that it is, like, it's, it's, you say it's not, um, storyboard driven. And I know, I know what you mean by that, but it's very visual and it, it, it's, you have to watch it still to, to enjoy it. And, you know, the layouts are telling the story as much. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, when I say board driven, it's, I mean, I know, I know what you mean, but, but when, when you say board driven, it's more like, um, like the, how the joke, like physical, like physical humor, like this little, little, like tiny little gestures and things like that. But over, yeah, and I mean, um, what was I going to say? I mean, I think that maybe it's just not the place for us, you know? Like, I know that it's the only place that we are, but I don't know what the future is. Honestly, like you can't pitch it in the UK because we don't have a big budgets over here and nobody would probably watch it, you know? Well, we don't have big budgets and also the industry in the UK is primarily skewed towards preschool and mm. you rarely get things for like even 7 to 11 year olds. Yeah. Yeah, and you get great work from, you know, from from this side of Europe, you know? I mean, you look at like mm. Huffin Rock um, from from Cartoon Saloon is absolutely gorgeous, you know, and they're really pushing what you can do. Um, mm. But yeah, I would like to see the industry over here blossom because we make some of the best comedy in the world, and yeah, yet yeah. there's a whole there, there, there's a whole section of uh, of comedy that's unavailable to us for, for reasons of budget, you know, and so we just export reality TV concepts in lieu of of, of something unique or original. Uh, you know, I, I really feel like people are going to look back on this period as like the dark ages, you know, like, <laughs> like, we're, like, you know, people are starting to understand that it's like the, the how, how rock and roll was just a 12 bar blues in like the 1930s and 40s. And it and, you know, and then little Richard comes along and blows everything up. And, <laughs> and you're starting to see that now it's starting like, oh, yeah, actually, you know, animation is for grownups and you can tell some really interesting themes uniquely through them like if you look at like what like um bojack horseman and rick and morty are doing they're single-handedly pioneering this concept and i hate the, the term but i really like that there's a there's an umbrella term for it it's the sad com and that's what they're calling it now you know um ah. because if you have these if you have these I mean, yeah, but I, I hate the term sadcom, A, because critics like to, to feel ownership over something, so they give it a name, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did that. I, I, I you know, I, I have uh, ownership over it somehow. But it, 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 it's more, it's not because it's sad, it's it's subversion. So if you look at uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix, um, which if you've seen it, it's fantastic. But what that is, mm -hmm. is um, it, it's a live-action cartoon um, with these with this kind of it's kind of floating on a sea of sad, but it's so thick with its saccharin um, that you can't see through to it, but except for in glimpses, you know, and it's really, really clever. And with with animated sitcoms in the sad com genre, which actually um, uh, 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 The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is also part of, um, you, you see that these things, the, 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 it, the sadness is, uh, I don't... I guess it's like, is it irony? Or I'm still trying to come to terms with it, really. Like, what this movement and animation means. It, it, it's breaking out. It's, 
it's drawing a line under the things that are said because they're you, you can relate to them easier. Maybe it's because the the simplistic faces or mm. um, like I I think I was reading a psychological study that was saying that you can relate to cartoon characters and animated characters much more intensely than you can live action characters a lot of the time despite the lack of facial expressions and what have you um because it's it's just easy to understand that way um i just, mm. I, I just yeah we, we've spoken about this before on, on the podcast a little bit about how that weird extra level of abstraction or distance that animation gives you allows you the um just I, for some reason certain ideas can be played out in a way that's slightly less painful and a little bit more introverted maybe in 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 as in as much as they're not happening to other people it's it's something which is being expressed and you're feeling it inside you because you're looking at a, a you know a couple of eyes that sure. are really simple and you're kind of thinking what part of that is me you know, on, on yeah. its most like narcissistic and base level i think that's what cartoons are yeah no i think i think you're on the money there it, it, it's it's about avoiding the the pain of living um through you know i mean that's why people watch entertainment right they they want to they want a little period of time where they don't exist um and they want to take a moment out and they want to be, you know, like entertained and kept busy, which is why animation is so quick and, you know, like to distract you and everything. Mm-hmm. But the, the, you, you want to have this realness, this, 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 this depth of emotion, this range. And with the simplicity of it, there's, there's no pain in it. There's just an evaluation of what these things mean and how they apply to the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think with, I mean, this is a much bigger topic with, with the, like, widening infantization of society as people become more and more babied. Um, and, and, Whoa. and as, <laughs> as kind of topics get, you know, like, uh, oh, you know, everything's so random and, and ironic and silly, you know, like, uh, I could give you some examples. Like, there's, there's a big new, um, uh, office block going up near my work. It says white collar factory on the outside of it, like, in this kind of funny, ironic kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's exactly vile. what it is. And the only way you can get away, you know, and it's just like, and, and I think maybe cartoons are riding that wave. Maybe they're part of this zeitgeist of like simplifying, like, you know, this, this, this passing into, into adult life getting really, really complex and being simplified because it's getting more and more painful and it's getting more and more difficult, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly for the millennial generation, but uh, as I say, it's a much bigger discussion. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's, 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 there's something, um, there's something in that, and also on on another level, I think that the the generation that are sort of like in their like mid twenties now, mid to late twenties, probably watch more cartoons than their parents did. Mm. So they're simply probably just a little bit more accepting of cartoons as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, also, cartoons are cool. Yes, so. they are That's very much are. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah, we're in danger of getting a bit too deep there. So. <laughs> and I, I think it's getting to about the time that we we should be calling it a night. But before I, I did just want to ask, um, if this is not too big a scary cool. question, but um, what after you've got episode three coming up? Do you do you have plans for next? Are you carry? Are you planning more episodes yeah. or? 
What's the, what's the future for Sam Sweet Milk? So, to um to address the uh, the wider context of that question, like we're, we're going to be pitching it around and trying to kind of move it forward, but in the states they don't want British main characters. Um, and Adult Swim wouldn't have us because they have their sci-fi show. You know, um, the earlier anecdote about Fox rejecting them because it was too similar to Futurama is just a perfect example of that. Um, and the reasons I said about the UK, um, I think really we're just going to keep crowdfunding episodes in this way and just make the best one so kick-ass people can't resist funding it. Um, and, you know, I've got the first series planned out. Uh, there's 10 episodes. And then I've got the synopsis for the second series and how that carries on and every character is just explored but nobody's really too fully explored it's not like oh you know who's Vela's sister we haven't talked about that you know like it, uh, it everything's really really purposeful um good that's a really good way to go about writing that <laughs> yeah well i mean it's all um it's all uh part of the like this grand cosmic narrative you know it, in the same way that like i, I mean I'm not going to compare us to star wars but um you know like <laughs> You have this really big story, and it's and in order to get around not having a really big budget, it's all about the connections between the characters and making you know really strong characterization, um, and that's kind of what we strive for. All right, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an awesome conversation. Oh, thanks very much. It's been lovely. Uh, yeah, it's been. And if you'd like to use this opportunity, uh, basically, to do a nice little plug. Uh, <laughs> For well, if the last 10 minutes of the... doom and gloom weren't enough, uh, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, if you like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, Archer, Venture Brothers, Rick and Morty, we're nowhere near as good as any of those, but we share some basic concepts or skirt them. You know, in the Venn diagram of that, it's basically the MasterCard logo, uh, but if you like push them really far apart till they're just touching, um, uh, God, it's it's hard to plug something when you when you're drowning in it. <laughs> I've, got, I've got no distance. Um, yeah, um, it, if if you like to to laugh, if you've got an interest in animation, uh, we're part of a movement that's not got very many members right now in terms of shows like ours. Um, so you might be watching something anthropologically interesting, if nothing else. <laughs> Oh, and where where can they find that's you? Good. The... <laughs> Let's skip over that. We're on YouTube. So it's youtube.com slash samsweetmilk. Um, we're running an Indiegogo campaign at the moment. We're at 21 and a bit thousand out of 24,000, and it runs out in five days. Um, you can't buy yourself as a character on the show anymore. That, that nine and a half grand perk has been bought up. Um, but you can buy other things like posters and DVDs. Oh, and you're on we are uh, at Sam Sweet Milk. Uh, we're also at Sam Sweet Milk on Instagram, Sam Sweet Milk on Tumblr, and slash Sam Sweet Milk on Facebook. Okay, awesome. And where can we find you on the internet this week, Dan? You can find me um, at Hamu on Twitter. And Rachel? Find me at Fail to Ninja on, tw- on uh, Twitter. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shield Maiden. Awesome. And I am Mr. Christor on Twitter, which is Mr. as the word, then Chris, then T O R. And you can follow AFA Blog on Twitter. You can find us on Tumblr, Pinterest, Pin, yeah, Pinterest, um, Facebook, and 
animationforadults.com. And thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Thanks again to Jason. It's been awesome. And go watch Sam Sweet Milk because it's great. And we will catch you very soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> Ship, I think I'm going to need something to draw on.